Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Take your Bibles, uh, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 3, doing a series, uh, walking through the the Gospel of John. Um, It's been seven years since we've done a kind of a study through one of the the Gospels, so we're we're doing the Gospel of John. Last week, we talked about the wedding of Cana, uh, Jesus' attendance at the wedding of Cana, and then his visit visit to the temple, Uh, so this morning, we're going to work through the first part, just the first part of John chapter 3. Now, spiritual, sometimes spiritual hunger and curiosity will cause you to do things that are out of character for you. Sometimes spiritual hunger, spiritual curiosity will cause you to do things that are out of character for you. So, we're going to look at the story of, of Nicodemus today. We're going to look uh, at, at this, his interaction with Jesus. And this is one of the most important gospel conversations, one of the most important interactions that, that Jesus had. And it is fascinating back and forth when you see this conversation. Now, this conversation with Nicodemus produced probably the most famous New Testament verse and exclamation of the gospel, John 3.16. We can all quote it. Most can all quote it. We all know it. You know, but this was not a standalone verse. This came as part of a larger conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus. Okay, so in a moment we're going to read this story, but I want to say... Uh, if you haven't seen The Chosen, season one, you need to watch it. Now, if you haven't watched it yet, or even if you have, I want you to do something. When you get home, I want you to Google The Chosen, Jesus and Nicodemus. The scene is about 10 minutes long, but it is absolutely fascinating, especially maybe after you, you hear this message this morning. So I'm giving you some homework. Don't do it now. Don't do it now. I know some of you, so... Uh, so, so give, give that a, a, a watch this afternoon. Watch it this afternoon. So I want you to use your imagination, all right? I want you to imagine a very dark room in the times of Jesus in a city close to the Sea of Galilee, all right? A room that is lit with torches and candles. It's late at night, later in the evening, And here is a very well-dressed man who is well-versed in the Old Testament and very well-known to the community, coming to visit a little-known teacher, you know, that had no formal religious education. They come into the room, they bring greetings to each other, and they sit down And they start this conversation back and forth. And it's fascinating. Now, I'm going to read the whole thing initially, okay? And then we're just going to kind of work our way through it. But I want you, 
as we read it, I want you to imagine this particular scene, okay? So there was a a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly for what they have done and has been done in the sight of God. Okay? All right, so that's the, the big picture. We're just going to work our way through this. So what, what do we know about Nicodemus? So let's get a little background because you can understand some of his questions and his thinking if you kind of know a little bit about him. So 
First of all, he's only mentioned in John's version of the gospel. Now, that's interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they never followed the Nicodemus story. For some reason, John, you know, this was interesting to him, which is why, you know, the four writers of the gospel, they give these different perspectives, and it's important that you read all four of those gospels. Now, Nicodemus is mentioned three times in the gospel of John, but he's not mentioned in any other of the gospels. Uh, to be a member of the Pharisees, he was probably a, wor a person of wealth, power, and privilege. Now, he was a Pharisee, which meant he was a religious leader. He was a priest, you know, uh, of that particular time. But not only was he a priest, he was part of the Sanhedrin. So remember, Rome had occupied Israel, and they allowed certain legal and religious autonomy uh, through, to the Jewish people through the rulers called the Sanhedrin. So they would handle certain legal things, certain religious things. So Nicodemus not only was a Pharisee, he was, he was a Sanhedrin as well. And to be a Sanhedrin, you, you probably generationally, your family was part of one of these Pharisees. You know, your, your grandfather was a priest, your great-grandfather, and probably... That came, that came with that was some generational wealth, you know, as well. So he was probably a person of wealth, power, and privilege. Jesus refers to him as Israel's teacher, which seems to indicate some kind of, of uh, uh, elevated position within the Pharisees. So he just wasn't part of this group. It seems to indicate that, you know, in their hierarchy, he was... You know, he was a little bit further up. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus was a, a written expert or an expert in the written law of Moses and the prophets or the Old Testament. If there was such a thing as a Ph.D. in the Old Testament, Nicodemus probably had that. He believed and he participated in the oral tradition of the Pharisees. You know, they believed in the Old Testament, but they kind of came up with their own rules as well. So if the Old Testament provided this fence of moral boundaries, the Pharisees made an inner fence so that you would never get to the outer fence. So, so for example, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You shouldn't work. That was the Old Testament. Then the Pharisees came back and they made these other rules. You can't walk any more than three-fourths of a mile on the Sabbath. You can't wash your hands. You can't light a candle on the Sabbath. You can't do all these other things. So he was part of this oral tradition as well, but he also believed, you know, believed in the Old Testament, and he believed in a works-based merit system for salvation based on the Old Testament law. That was common, that was common to everyone. Moral goodness, you know, uh, and, and being close to God came by living by the Ten Commandments the best that you could. That was his, you know, that was his belief as far as salvation, you know, uh, or what salvation was. At some point, Nicodemus had become curious about Jesus. At some point, something got his attention because here's this man who comes at night, all right, and he's been thinking about the things that he had, that he had heard. So he comes at night, and there could be an explanation of that. He's a very prominent person. Maybe he doesn't want to be seen, so he comes, you know, uh, under the cover of darkness. Or another, another possibility there is that, you know, he, 
You know, sometimes you can't sleep at night. Sometimes things are just on your mind. Your mind is churning, and you just can't sleep, you know, and, and you got to find some resolution. So maybe it was one of those nights, man, I, have, I can't sleep. I'm restless. I just need to go find out a little more about Jesus. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's not a follower at this point. He's just curious about this unusual message that Jesus is preaching that really is contrary to everything that Nicodemus has believed. Now, his belief was shaken by the miracles that Jesus was doing. Remember the question? Remember the question, teacher. No one can do the miracles that you are doing. Okay, so somewhere... He had a firsthand experience. Now, probably, let me say, like, when we read John 1, 2, and 3, it doesn't give the, uh, the time lapse in between the chapters, okay? John 1 and 2 recorded within three days of each other, but there had been a series of a, a little time lapse in between John 3. So let's just say it's six or seven months later, and somewhere Nicodemus has witnessed firsthand one of the miracles that Jesus has done or he's talked to someone or there has been some testimony, all right? Because he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So here is this educated man. Here is Israel's teacher who is having a sleepless night. He's contemplating this unusual message that runs counter to everything, you know, that, that he has learned and believed. He's just having these random thoughts. He's restless, and he comes to Jesus at night. Now, listen, I said this up front. Sometimes spiritual hunger and curiosity will cause you to do things that are out of character for you, okay? Sometimes spiritual hunger and curiosity will cause you to do things that are out of character for you. Listen to me. See, we're all created with a God void in our heart. We're all created for a relationship with God. We're not just one-dimensional like the animals, okay? We're created completely different. And there comes time in your life that you realize you're, no you're not one-dimensional, but there's spiritual void in your life, and you have questions about God. You have, you have spiritual questions, curiosity. And some people, they take this curiosity. They do things that are out of character for them, but it's kind of negative. Some people get involved. They, they have this spiritual void, and they get involved in relationships that, not are, that, that aren't healthy, because they're trying to fill something down in their heart or they, or they enter a lifestyle of unbridled sex and sexuality thinking that this will, you know, make, bring contentment and peace in my life or they retreat to an addictive lifestyle, drugs, alcohol, and other things all trying to kind of find contentment and inner peace or they move to the religions of the day, or the philosophies of men that, you know, especially relating to spirituality, trying to find some peace and contentment. So sometimes people take this spiritual curiosity and hunger, and it works to the negative. 
Or sometimes people take this spiritual curiosity and hunger, amen, they start walking toward the Lord with that. Like we read a couple weeks ago, Andrew walked up to Jesus, and what did he say? Where do you live? I'm coming to your house. I'm coming over, all right? Sometimes this hunger will make you do things that are kind of out of character for you. It caused a woman who had a medical issue where she was bleeding and and had been kind of isolated to push her way through a crowd and kind of reach out and grab Jesus. It caused a centurion who didn't necessarily believe in the the faith of the, the Jewish people, but he had a sick servant. Go get this teacher and tell him to come to my house. It caused Zacchaeus to climb up in a tree so that he could hear more. It caused Matthew to leave behind a lot of money to to hear the message of Jesus. Sometimes spiritual hunger and curiosity will cause you to do things that are out of character for you. So maybe you're like Nicodemus this morning, okay? Maybe you're curious. Maybe you have questions about God that might even be why you're here today. See, some people, they start sneaking in and going to church. Okay? You don't tell anybody. You don't make an announcement. You just start going to church. Some of you start sneaking and watching services online. Yes, I'm talking about you. You start listening to podcasts. You start... You start, you know, uh, trying to surround yourself, you know, with, 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 with church. Sometimes you have these God thoughts, you know, these God questions. And they're so, they're so random into your, in your life. But I want you to know, sometimes these questions are not necessarily coming from you. It is God that is dealing with you. It is God that is trying to to get your attention. Josh McDowell, one of the greatest Christian philosophers that we have today, all right? He didn't start that way. He went to college not believing in Christ. He went went kind of as an atheist. He went, you know, with this belief, you know, that the New Testament wasn't correct. Jesus Jesus wasn't, you know, really who he said he was. So he goes to college, an atheist or agnostic, but he was challenged by people just to ask some questions, okay? So here's his testimony. I accepted my friend's challenge, mostly out of spite and to prove them wrong. I was convinced the Christian story would not stand up to evidence. I was a pre-law student. I knew something about evidence. I decided to start with the Bible. I was sure that if I could uncover undisputable evidence that the Bible is an unreliable record, the whole of Christianity would crumble. I took the challenge seriously. I I spent months in research. I even dropped out of school for a time in the historically rich libraries of Europe. And I found evidence. Evidence in abundance. Evidence I could hardly believe with my own eyes. Finally, I could come to only one conclusion. 
If I were to remain intellectually honest, I had to admit the Old and New Testament documents were some of the most reliable writings in all of antiquity. And if they were reliable, what about this man Jesus whom I had dismissed as a mere carpenter? I had to admit that Jesus was more than a carpenter. He was all that he claimed to be. All right? So where did he start with just honest study and questions and just curiosity about, about God. I want to just say to you, if that's you, maybe you're kind of like Nicodemus. You have questions. Then I want you to continue to do what Nicodemus did. I want you to continue to explore and pray and ask questions and seek and research because I promise you, if you keep seeking, there's more to this pathway that you are walking. You may think, man, these are all kind of random thoughts, and they may be to a certain extent, but I also believe that God is working in you trying to make you aware of the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. So I want you to be open, but I don't want you to be afraid of where this will take you because I believe this will take you to the foot of the cross. So if you're asked questions, that's fine. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God was not with him. So he says, Rabbi, we know he comes by himself, but he's heard these conversations. We know that you're a teacher. He comes by himself, but he's been a part of these conversations, so he comes representing the conversation of others, and he acknowledges that no one can do these miracles unless God was with him. Now listen, he's trying to make a determination here. Fascinating. Is he a teacher that just has some cool things to say about forgiveness, you know, and the poor, you know? Or is he the Messiah? Is he the one that God sent? You see, people still struggle with this question today. Is he just a teacher that said some cool things, some unusual things, or is he really the one that God sent? You see, historically, we can prove that there was a person that lived named Jesus and he died on the cross. We can prove the historical accuracy of that. But you are the one that has to determine whether he was just a teacher or just a Messiah or the Messiah that is sent from God. That is your question to answer. And that's what Nicodemus was kind of struggling with. All right? Are you a teacher? Or I mean, what who, who are you? Now, Jesus introduces him to the concept of being born again, okay? So look at this. Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And this blows his mind. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So Jesus answers a theological question with an answer about the emptiness in his heart, okay? And they're kind of 
you know, kind of looking for the same thing today. Nicodemus came maybe looking for a miracle that would verify that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus was going, there is a miracle, but it's a greater miracle than you've ever seen before. It's the miracle of the heart. Look what he says. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He cannot, excuse me, Nicodemus said, uh, how can this be? He can't wrap his head around this. How does this work? He's the Ten Commandment person. Live by these commandments. What are, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you referring to? Nicodemus thought the answer was some kind of miracle, but there was another miracle that he could not comprehend, the miracle of the transformed heart. He just thinks, man, if you try to live by this moral code, then that makes you acceptable before God. And Jesus is going, no, there's something different here. There's a, a new birth that I want to I talk to you about, all right? So what is being born again or being a follower of Jesus? What is it comparable to? Because Nicodemus is like, what, what is this? What, what is this? You're blowing my mind here. So what is being born again or being a follower of Jesus comparable to? Is it like joining a club? You know, like I hear people, they change gyms all the time, okay? I'm youth fit, I'm planet fitness, there's no judgment here or whatever. People are changing gyms. Most of the time, it has to do with price, location, you know, some rule that they don't like, you know, at the other place. So they, you know, they just, so is that what being born again you know, is comparable to just joining a, like a club, just attending, you know, just attending church, just kind of, kind of showing up. Is it just, is it just that, you know, are, are you here because you think, you know, that just the church attendance makes you right before God? That'd be wrong. You know, like, Hey, you know, Generations Church, they gave away Bradley sausage dogs, and they gave a Blackstone hibachi grill away. That's where God's leading me. That's pretty cool. Hey, but, but, but that's what some people think. You know, it's just like joining a club. You just kind of show up, and you're there. Well, let me ask you. If you just show up at the gym, are you healthy? You lose weight? Blood pressure down? So some people, is it comparable to just like joining a club somewhere? No. Is it comparable to just having a different mental understanding or enlightenment? See, some people think, you know, they come to the awareness that they're not one-dimensional and now, man, they, they're more spiritually aware in their, in their life. I now believe in God. I, I, I have a, a certain religious philosophy. Is that enough you know, is that what Jesus is talking about? Just a greater kind of mental enlightenment? Is that what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the new birth? No. Is it just a change of doctrine or belief? 
or if you're Jewish or Mormon or Muslim or, or Baptist or Church of God and you just kind of change your doctrinal belief, is that enough? Is that what he's talking about when he's making reference to this new birth? No. Is it an effort to be a, 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 more, a morally better person? Man, I just... And there's so much sickness and suffering in the world. I need to do better and make the world a better place. Is that what he's talking about? A moral awareness as far as what the new birth is. And I'm just telling you, no, you can try all of those things, but there's no lasting fruit. Those are only superficial. That is not the new birth that he's talking about. All right? So let's use Jesus' illustration of being born again, being born again. So when a baby is born, when a baby is born, we celebrate this miracle, okay? When a baby is born, it has no previous identity, all right? It has no debts. His parents have debts, but the baby doesn't. It has no past history that it has to deal with because in a a, a miraculous moment, that child is a new creation. He's a new creation. There's a birth that, that occurred. Jesus, or Paul said, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. It's a miraculous Birth. It's not a mental change or mental ascent, but there's a spiritual birth. You have been regenerated and born by the Spirit of God. And Jesus even said in this, hey, this new birth is so important that you cannot get into heaven without this new birth. Even if you try to be a morally better person and, and, and donate to, to worthy causes, it's not enough because that's not the new birth. He said you must Be born again. Okay? He said, you can't even get into heaven without this. Blows Nicodemus away. Because Nicodemus just thought if you're a morally better person, if you just try to live by a lot of those Ten Commandments, then when you stand before God, that's what he is looking for. And Jesus is going, no, that will will bring you to the gate, but it won't get you in. you got to be born again. There's a spiritual birth, a spiritual renewal that will happen. Then he gives an example. All right? He says, talking about the wind. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he says, I'm just paraphrasing. You can't see the wind, all right? But you can see and hear where it is or where it has been. There is an evidence that the wind has been there. And he said, so it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. You don't know how it's happening. You can't explain it. But this is a supernatural birth that occurs. You don't know when it's going to happen, but let me tell you, there is an evidence that it is happening, that it has happened. Look at people's lives, okay? Been transformed. 
changed. No explanation. I want to tell you, I'm not going to give you my whole testimony, but I'm just telling you, when I got up from the altar on that Sunday night, man, there was something different in my heart. It wasn't a change of morality, a change of church. There had been a new supernatural birth, and I stood as a new creation before God. Whit Sasser going to church, you know, just kind of going through the motions, going through the routine. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God got his life. He's a new creation. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual birth and renewal that you can't even explain. Josh Core, he goes as a counselor with the youth group, and he's unsaved. I don't know about that church's policy, but that is not our policy. We don't do missionary counseling, okay, or evangelistic counselors, all right? But something happened in that service that caused this young man that wanted to, you know, live the way the world lived, but now there was a there was a new birth that took place in his heart. He said, you can't explain it. You can't always see when it's about to happen. But you know when there's been a spiritual birth, you see the evidence of it. Tom Overstreet starts coming to church. Not because he was hungry for God. He wanted to date Diane. You know, hey. But God will take every opportunity. God will take every opportunity. And God saved him. God saved this guy, focused on athletics and other things. Listen, listen to me. If you are just dependent on being morally better, you're going to fall short. If you think that it's just, if I go to church three times a week, you're going to fall short. Jesus said, if you want to get into heaven, you've got to have this new birth. It's not about changing your mindset or your morality. It is about experiencing the new birth that only comes from the Spirit of God working in your heart. He goes deeper. So he explains this new birth, blowing Nicodemus' mind. How can this be? You can just see the gears grinding in his head. How can this be? Spiritual, supernatural, intangible? This shouldn't be intangible. I should be in control. I want to live by this code. No, it doesn't matter about your code. It's about being born again. So then Jesus goes a little deeper. Look what he says. Nicodemus says, how can this be? You're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you about earthly things, and you don't believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? He's like, you've got the evidence right in front of you. You see people living this message. You see miracles, but you're not responding. I want to say that to some of you Today, you've been in church, you've felt God's presence, you've seen God at work in your life, and you're still in your sin. You're still there. He said, you're, look, you're, asking, you're looking for evidence, but you don't even believe what you got in front of you. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Look what he does. Just as Moses, Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... 
So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes him may have eternal life. Okay? So he takes this concept of the new birth that he just introduced to Nicodemus. So he's wanting him to know that this is not just some fly-by-night, you know, new birth. You know, you can, every religion can have this new birth. Now he starts connecting it to the person of Jesus in the cross. He's starting to bring this home. He's gone broad with this new birth. Now he gives the illustration of Moses in Numbers. He gives this illustration, okay? Now, Nicodemus would know this. He would know this. He said, Nicodemus, do you remember the story where the children of Israel in Numbers, where they were murmuring? They were, you know, they, they wanted to go back to Egypt. God had delivered them. They were murmuring. They didn't like the manna. It was too hot. They wanted, you know, they were murmuring, and God sent a plague of snakes on them. God sent that plague. And finally, finally they repented, you know, and, and God told Moses, make a bronze snake, hold it up, and when people see it, they'll be healed, okay? Nicodemus, he's, he's registering with this, okay? I'll read that again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so he remembers that story, all right? Then he makes it personal. So, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him should have eternal life. Okay, so now he's taking this new birth. He, instead of being a teacher, okay, talking about this new birth, now it's personal. It's first person. Okay, as, as you remember the story of him lifting the snake up on a staff, there's a day that the Son of Man will be lifted up as well, and everyone who believes in him must have eternal life, okay? So he's connecting this new birth. It's not just abstract. Now it comes down to the person of Jesus, okay? Watch, what he, watch the continuation of the thought. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, but have eternal life. Wow, he's really making this personal. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Everyone who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in God's one and only son. So he starts with the supernatural birth, being born again. Then he connects that with the cross, that the Son of Man has to be lifted up. And now he answers this question, why is all of this happening? Because God loved the world, okay? This is merit-based, you know, like, like your kids. There's nothing your kids could do, you know, bad that would make you love them any less. And there's nothing they could really do good that can make you love them anymore. This is just about love. It's not about merit, mental positioning. God's love is for the entire world. So now it's gone from this new birth. It's gone to the cross, but why? Because God loves the entire world. It's not about love, good deeds, or merit. God gave his son 
as an offering for sin on the cross. Okay, Nicodemus had never heard anything like that before because the Old Testament really was just kind of cold obedience. Now he's coming into the warmth of God's love. God gave his son as an offering for sin on the cross. This was not forced upon him. Okay, This was not forced upon Jesus. God gave his son as an offering for sin. So question, what would you take in exchange for one of your sons or daughters? What would you take in exchange for that? What would you trade out to give away a son or a daughter? What's the price? A million bucks? Two million bucks? You know, what's the price? What value do you place upon them where you would give one of those away? And let me just say, on a good day, on a bad day, I know there would that would be much lower, especially when they're two, all right? So what's the value, okay? There is no value. There's nothing that you could give me in exchange. There's nothing of equal value that I would exchange one of my children for. So I have no price. But God had a price. He had a price. There was something of value of equal or more value that he would give his son for. And that's you and I. That's you and I. That's you and I. Can we just praise him this morning? Can we just give him thanks? Thank you for Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God had a price, and it was us. Romans 5 says, God demonstrates his love for us. He demonstrated, not a a word, he demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, perish. Reminds us that we don't live forever, okay? Okay? And we don't always get the opportunity to grow old and just pass away that way. That we perish. There's a day that we die. And then we stand before God for judgment. Okay? We stand before God with judgment. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever believes in him should not perish. That we don't have to fear death. Because we know we believed in him. And then what he said, but have eternal life. Eternal life. Not about mansions. Not about streets of gold. Not about gates of pearl. But eternal life. A joyful life. Freed from the power of sin. No more crippled bodies. No more sickness, no more disease, no more feeling the guilt and the weight of sin 
anymore. I've got eternal life. I'm living with my loved ones that have gone before in such a great reunion day. But the best part of that is forever and ever I'll be in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's not entered into the hearts of man what God has prepared for those that love Him. Hey, sometimes I get in church and I feel and I sense God's presence and it's just a little foretaste of what that day's going to be like. King of kings, Lord of lords, fairest of ten thousands in His presence forever. That's eternal life. That's eternal life. Something that's eternal boredom. I had somebody ask me, is all we going to do in heaven is just worship? Let me tell you, it'll be a worship service unlike you've ever been to before. A choir of millions, every language, tribe, and tongue singing glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Eternal life. God so loved the world. Gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish. But you'll have eternal life. You'll have eternal life. Nicodemus believed in this, came with this sorry, simple, works-based religion. And Jesus said, hey, I got something so much better than just living by the law. That's being transformed by the power and the presence of God. Brent, worship team, Holly, you guys can come. And he closes with this. This is the verdict. Jesus said, light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly uh, that, go, that what has been done has been done in the sight of God. All right? So... Just a reminder here, like you may read that and go, what, people choose darkness? They do. They do. He said, remember that people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Okay? They're, 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 living, they're living a sinful life. That's why sometimes people don't want to come to church when you invite them. They don't want to watch. They want to be involved. They're living in darkness because they've got things going on. And the light makes them uncomfortable. That's why they don't want you to talk to them about God. Because it's like shining a flashlight into the darkness and the evil of their lives. They don't want to come into the light. They're afraid that their sins will, in their real life will be exposed. Okay? So, question. What happened? Where's Nicodemus? Are you a reader? Because there's no conclusion here. What happened? What? You leave us hanging? Is there part two? No. What? Did he cry? Did he follow Jesus? Did he go, you know what? New birth, you are out of your mind. He leaves us hanging. All right? What did he do with the information that he got? We don't know. At this point, we don't know. But I would say to you, 
what did you do with the information that you have? What, what, have you, what are you doing with it? What, what, are you, what are you doing with it? Some of you are trying to make a determination. Is he teacher or Messiah? Forgiveness, that's pretty cool. Remember the poor? Turn the other cheek? Walk the extra mile? That, that's, man, that's pretty unique. We need some of that today. Is he just a teacher to you? Or is he the Messiah? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You know? Where, where are you at with that? You know, Nicodemus knew a lot of Bible stories, okay? But he didn't know God. And that's where some are today. Some of you have been raised in the church. There's not a story that you probably couldn't tell. And you're this far away from the cross, but you've never made it personal in your own life. And that's where judgment day for you is going to be very difficult. We got people around the world that hold to little scraps about Jesus, and you've got the whole picture. You don't struggle with the cross or the resurrection. You've just never made it personal. You just never believed. You just never become a follower. You're that far away. But it might as well be a million miles because your Bible knowledge does not equal a new birth. That's what he was saying to Nicodemus. I don't care about all your knowledge. You got to be born again. That's for everyone. Church attendance doesn't matter. Membership doesn't matter. How much you put, how, many, how big a check you write. You can't write a check big enough to pay your way into heaven. You can't do it. You can't do it. It comes to the new birth. I'm talking to some of you who have been around the church your whole life. You're watching me online. Been around church. You know the Bible. You know the Bible stories. You don't, you don't wrestle with Jesus on the cross or his resurrection. But you've never made it personal. You've never made him your savior. You've never opened up and said, come and save me. You stand before God, you're going to be that far away. It's not going to matter. Because he said, unless you come through the new birth, that's the only way you get in. It's the only way you get eternal life. It's through the new birth. Not your total accumulation of biblical knowledge. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. It's, a great, it's the greatest passage in the Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Would you stand with me? Just bow your head for a moment. When you stand, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing. Every head bow, eye closed just for a moment. If you're here today, I want to thank you for coming. This message was about a religious man who had just not walked all the way to Jesus, and that's maybe somewhere you are at today. You know a lot. You've been around a lot. Maybe you've even walked away at some point. But today can be your day that you experience new birth. If you're here today, 
Maybe you're not where you should be with the Lord. Maybe you've trusted in your own morality, church attendance, mental assent, whatever it is that you've never walked through. You're kind of like Nicodemus. You've never taken that next step. Say, Pastor, today's the day. Today's the day for me. Today's the day for me. Real quick, would you just raise your hand up and down and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? Would you just pray for me this morning? Pray for me this morning. Just not maybe where I should be. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm going to put a prayer on the screen here. I want you to look at that prayer. And if that's you, I'm just going to kind of read this prayer and you can just kind of whisper it to yourself. Open your heart up and accept the Lord as your personal Savior this morning. I promise you, you'll never regret it. I promise you there's a fruit on the other end of being born again that's wonderful. Your life won't always be perfect, but I'm just telling you, it's the, the, the best thing I ever did. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I accept your death as penalty for my sin and recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift you offer because of your great love, not based on anything I have done. Cleanse me. Make me your child. By faith, I receive you into my heart as the Son of God and as the Savior and Lord of my life. From now on, help me to live for you with you in control in your name. Amen. If that's your prayer, that's, that's how simple it is. It's not complicated. <laughs> that was probably what was blowing Nicodemus away too. It's just not complicated. It's not complicated. If you prayed that prayer this morning, they're going to sing a song of worship. These altars are open if you'd like to come for prayer or if you want to come for special prayer, whatever is on your heart this morning. Man, but I, I hope that you made that next step to Christ. Let's, let's sing and let's worship for a moment. These altars are open if you want to come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.